A very fun show for you guys today. Adam Vingan of The Athletic, who covers the Nashville Predators. We wandered all over the place on today's 615 sessions. We talked about Peter Laviolette, what the end was like, how John Hines has attempted, whether it be successfully or unsuccessfully, to kind of right the ship with the Nashville Predators. We spent an inordinate amount of time on video games, Vingan and I, and it made for a fantastic podcast that I look forward to sharing with you today. But a quick reminder that all of this is brought to you by our friends at TennesseeTickets.com. No hidden fees, unlike those other guys. All your sporting event and concert needs, TennesseeTickets.com. Do so cheaper with promo code AZ. One zero. That's $10 off. Check out our friends at TennesseeTickets.com. Back by no one's demand, but our own from our home office here in beautiful Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions podcast brought to you as always by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. So we promised you Brett Kern and Adam Vingan. Adam Vingan is here. Brett Kern is home with a sick little colonel. And Adam Vingan is greatly disappointed in the MV punter for flaking on us on this Tuesday. I was very excited to be in the presence of an all-pro specialist. I know. You got you, you texted me. You said, what are we talking about? I need to prep. And I laughed in your face. And I said, who does prep for a podcast? I sure as hell don't prep for this podcast. Uh, but you said, I'm going to be in the presence of greatness. And now he, uh, he left disappointed. That's okay. I understand well, I don't understand because I don't have any children, but I understand. You have a dog. I have a dog and, <laughs> and a wife. Yes. So I understand uh, the importance of taking care of ill loved ones. So I forgive Brett for not being here today. So Brett Kern is going to be a part of the 615 sessions on Thursday, uh, and we will continue the conversation there. We wish the best to the Kern family. But Adam Vingan is here, at Adam Vingan. On Twitter is where you follow my brother writing about the Nashville Predators. Uh, woe, woe, woeful Nashville Predators, though they may be for the athletic Nashville. Get your subscription right now. Uh, also hosting the radio show on Friday nights, the Smash Brothers from 6 to 7 p.m. on 102.5 with our dear friend Robert Stanley. How is the radio show? How is the radio life treating you, Vincent? Because you you are perfectly suited, I think, to carry conversation. How do you do with operating within twelve minute segments? It was interesting to to do that. Our first show was this past Friday. Uh, you know, Robbie has more experience uh, hosting polished broadcast. Yes, Robbie has more experience hosting a show and playing traffic cop, so to speak. Um, so I That's allowed, a very offensive term in the broadcast industry. I allowed – it is? Reese Davis would be furious with you if you called him a traffic cop. What does that mean? It, it just means – it means you have you bring nothing but uh, but point guard. You're just the distributor of the uh, conversation. 
Well, I'm highly offended as the traffic cop of the show. Well, I do not want Robbie to be offended. <laughs> traffic cops are very important in society. <laughs> um, but he uh, has more experience than I do in that role in terms of hosting a show. So I, I leaned on him to facilitate the segments a little bit. Um, I thought the first show went really well. Uh, we're excited for the next show, which is this Friday. Um, of course, every Friday from 6 to 7. Um, it's something that I wanted to do uh, for a while. Uh, I first broached the subject with the station over the summer. Um, and then once football season ended, the the timing was right. And I'm glad that Robbie uh, was free to rejoin 102.5 because he's one of my closest friends and we have a good rapport. So I thought it was a no-brainer for him to be my co-host. Uh, so we we're, we're pleased with how it turned out. We're pleased with the response. People seemed to enjoy, seemed to enjoy it. And we're looking forward to doing more. They didn't do you any favors last night with the six to two loss to Vancouver. And we'll talk about the predators, the state that they're, they are in John Hines as the new coach, because I think this is almost more interesting. The transactional nature of this time of year and as we head to free agency in the NFL draft, I'm always fascinated by that as much as anything because those moves are what can alter uh, the the trajectory of a franchise for that particular season. The Preds have tried to do similar things in a year uh, that felt a bit, there felt to be a degree of urgency for David Poyle and you go out and you get a big name like Matt Duchesne and you pay a bunch of money to uh, the guys that you have built the foundation on. And after this 6-2 to two loss, they sit at 26-22-7, Vingen, and they are clawing not very, not very, with not much vigor, it would seem, to try and get back into the postseason picture because right now they're looking from the outside in. I think of the Predators as that poster that you used to see in elementary school with the the cat hanging from the tree branch and it's saying hang in there kitty yeah except the kitty's not going to hang there the kitty's very long. A, a prehistoric uh predator yes <laughs> a saber-toothed tiger yes as it were um i can't remember the technical term oh i'm sure i'm sure you're going to get a very offended small segment of the twitter population to shout you yes but i digress uh, <laughs> they are hanging in there like the cat on the tree branch. They're not out of it by any means, but they haven't done anything in the past four months to give you hope that they're going to find a way to turn it around. I mean, keep in mind that this Predators team hasn't won more than two consecutive games since before Halloween. Yeah. And now we're approaching Valentine's Day. They had an opportunity to do that, win a third consecutive game, and get into a playoff spot for the first time since November 13th when they played Edmonton the other night, and they lost. Um, And then they had a stinker in Vancouver to end the road trip with two wins and two regulation losses. So I don't think the season is over. I don't think the playoffs are out of the realm of possibility statistically but just based on my feel for this group watching them all the time 
I just don't think that this particular group has what it takes to flip that proverbial switch because every single time they do, it doesn't last long. You know, to use another metaphor, it's sort of like the old Wile E. Coyote Roadrunner cartoons where Wile E. Coyote would paint the tunnel opening on the side of the cliff. Yes. And the Roadrunner would run right through. And when the Coyote would attempt to run through, he would slam into the wall. Yes. That's basically the Predators. The Predators are Wile E. Coyote. Um, <laughs> do, you think we, do you think we're in a time, sidebar, do you think we're in a time where Billie Eilish would know who Wile E. Coyote is? Because I watched her at the Oscars the other night, and she looked completely uh, disoriented by Eminem. I don't think she knows who Eminem is. Well, how old is she, 15? Billie Eilish is, I'm going to Google this right now. This I is think live she's 15. Research. Uh, we will find out together. Vamp. Vamp. <laughs> Quick, Bing and Stall. Show me your radio skills. I think she's 15. <laughs> Billie Eilish is indeed... Oh, Wikipedia, you failed me. 15 years old. There you go. That is correct. So, well... No, she's 18. Really? The, the internet lied to me. 18 years old. She's Billie 18? Eilish. Yes. Okay, well, when did... So, Eminem performed Lose Yourself... At the Oscars. Which he won an Oscar for. Yes. How, when did that song come out? That song came out, Stall. Stall. <laughs> Vamp. It's a great song. It is a great song. Did you, did you watch the Oscars? Uh, bits and pieces. Okay. Do you, is that the only award show that you will kind of pay attention to? Okay. 19, or 2002. So Billie Eilish, a year old. Yes. When Lose Yourself came out. Right. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, <laughs> Do that's a good question. I, I like I like the Emmys. I'll watch the Emmys. I'll watch the Golden Globes. I always watch a little bit of most of the award shows. There are a few that I don't watch. I mean, some of them are on by accident. Yeah, like I'm not watching the Screen Actors Guild Awards or seeking them out. Um, you know, I'll even watch the ESPYS. You know, just because. Well, you know, it's almost an obligation. It right, it's like. almost an obligation. Um, I prefer the Grammys personally. Oh as yeah, a, the musical as a music fan. So, um, I did watch a bit of the Oscars. Usually, what it tells me is what movies I haven't seen in the past year that I really need to, like Parasite. I did not see Parasite. Uh, there's like uh, 300 people that did. Right, so I, I need to see more of it. Um, it, it, it's it's odd. Like even even for example, uh, you know, Robbie and I named our radio show after Super Smash Brothers, which is a fabulous Nintendo series. Of course, the fighting game. N sixty four. Don't come at me with your GameCube. I'm not. Yes, here for the it. original with the N sixty four. Our producer on the show, Calvin Smith, said that he had never played Super Smash Brothers, and said, and this is where I felt really friggin' old. Yes, he said that his first system was a PlayStation 2. <laughs> I was like, get the hell out of here with that nonsense. I was like, have you ever seen an original Game Boy? And he actually said he had, because that was my first system, was the original gray, clunky-ass Game Boy. I had Tetris and all the Mario games. So you're just a few years older than me because I had the Game Boy Color. I had a Game Boy Color. Yes. I had, I had a Game Boy... Let's see which systems I had very quickly. I had the original Game Boy. It doesn't I was a, have to be quick. It's a I, podcast. I was, right? a, I was a Nintendo guy. <laughs> yeah. So the only the only Sega system I ever owned was the Game Gear. So I had the original Game Boy, a Game Boy Color, 
a Super Nintendo, a Nintendo 64. I bought a GameCube from a consignment shop when I was in college for like 25 bucks. Um, I had a Game Gear. I had, and then I'm a, I'm a PlayStation guy. I had a PlayStation Two, a Three, and a Four. I've never had an Xbox. I have had I have had all of these things. I'm not brand loyal when it comes to video games. I currently have a PS4 that serves as a glorified HBO and Netflix machine. Yes, I have uh, I have lost the time for gaming, unfortunately, and so. I uh, or uh, I mean off season I might find I might find time for uh, for game of Call oh I also too. have a Nintendo Switch that was my most recent Nintendo purchase okay was a Nintendo See, Switch I I got a box of uh, of childhood paraphernalia uh, for lack of a better term for my parents because now that I have my own house that we sit here in the uh, the palatial uh, Elizabeth Park Studios here in Nashville Tennessee my mom and my parents are just treating uh, my house as a storage unit for all the crap of mine that they don't want to keep at the house anymore I mean I still live in an apartment and my parents do that my mom <laughs> just sent me a box last week full of stuff that she had found that she didn't want but figured I might want so. well you run out of storage space just as quickly in a house turns out when your parents have things that they're trying to offload regardless yes in the box. Uh, was a Game Boy Color, a Game Boy Advance, and all of the Pokemon games. I never had a Game Boy Advance. Oh, I had a Game Boy Advance. But I did have the Pokemon games. I mean, N64 was my jam. Yeah. Some of the best games were on N64. It was my childhood. We used to we used to run to each other's houses on Saturday mornings uh, and play and play Smash Brothers. Smash Brothers. Uh, GoldenEye. GoldenEye. 1080 snowboarding. Oh, it was all so good. The, the, the Mario James, Kart 64. GoldenEye was such an underrated... I don't even think it was underrated. I just think it's underappreciated I think it's now. one of the greatest games ever, oh. just based on the, the cultural impact that it had. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. It's the first... It's like one of the first first-person shooters. Thanks. Right. Halo owes a debt of gratitude. Yeah, I was never good at first-person shooters, though. That was my weak spot. But I bought a Nintendo Switch last year, and I haven't played it in a while. I need to get back up on it. But I would bring it on road trips, so I'd be that... I'm 30 years old, so I'd be that 30-year-old on the plane playing Nintendo Switch, and I have to imagine everybody else on the crammed Southwest flight from <laughs> from Nashville to Dallas Love Field is like, what the hell is this middle-aged man doing? I... I had similar thoughts because when I opened the box, I'm like, "Oh, that'd be kind of cool." I'd take the because I think I think I had gotten it right before the the Titans playoff swing, and then at that point we were on the road for Houston to New England to, to Baltimore, Baltimore to Kansas City. Yes, and after like the second flight and or second round of flights, I was like, "I need something to do on these damn planes." Maybe I take the Game Boy. Yes. And then I thought, no, everybody in a similarly crowded Southwest flight would think, who is this asshole playing a Game Boy, uh, a Pokemon, uh, a a Pokemon yellow Game Boy color special edition that I received for my first Christmas present. Now, I was sitting uh, at the Nashville airport, I think, on my way to the Winter Classic. I love where this this podcast is going. I was sitting next to a young man who had a Switch and he was playing what's called an untitled goose game what i think it, it it's it's like a free roaming game where basically you control a goose and you antagonize people it's literally the first thing that came up when i when i googled untitled yeah untitled goose game untitled goose thing. game and and he and the the boy who could not have been more than maybe seven eight years old i was he, he was explaining the game to me i was like what's the point he was just like you go around and like you 
Like you pester people. Yeah. Like he was showing me how like the the goal of the particular level he was on was like tripping up this guy, stealing his glasses, and then trapping him in a phone booth. Oh yeah. And you like you honk at people and you like scare people, and it's like these kids will never know the <laughs> the the joy of playing Pokemon Red or Pokemon Blue or playing the original Mario Kart on Super Nintendo. These kids are spoiled. They don't know what 2D is. They've never seen that stuff. So It's described as a 2019 puzzle hyphen stealth game. Yes. As stealthy as goose. one can be as a goose. Wait, it's, see, this is this is what's wrong with the youth of America. Now we have entered into get-off-my-lawn phases. In All the right. And now we are here, and we'll get back to the Predator shortly. I <laughs> No one wants to hear about that right now. Well, no. I mean, there is legitimate conversation to be had about what you wrote for The Athletic, about the issues in goal, and you had an interesting stat about Pecorine. All of these things are fascinating. All not right. right now, Not right now, though, no. as we talk about the indictment. Of the entitled goose game. Of the entitled goose game. This is this is why the youth of America lacks objective. Their video games lack objective. Yeah. You're just roaming around society, terrorizing individuals as a goose. Yes. What is the purpose? There is at least in in previous iteration. Here, I can't believe I found myself. I sound like Paul Kaharski. I'm aging before your very ears. But well, you, you have will to when have you objective. go bald later this week. You'll oh, age in front of us. I don't know how I feel about that. We'll get to that later. I'm going to look like a penis <laughs> on Valentine's Day, Vingan. My girlfriend is so angry with me. If you're just if you're not if you're not understanding what uh, the reference to that is, 10:30 a.m. Central Time on all of your streaming platforms and your radio dials, I will be getting my head shaved live on the midday 180 because I have lost a bet to David Reed, their fantastic producer. How do you feel? about Bobby Knight returning to IU for the first time in 20 years. And this is fitting because you're wearing your Duke 1991 NCAA champion. Uh, I'm riding shirt. high on the victories of the past couple of days. Big, big couple, big, big three, uh, co- big three days for you boys. Yes. I would say uh, the Duke Blue Devils. But uh, Bobby Knight, because the genesis of this, why Vingan is asking me for the, those of you uninformed, uh, the general public, because Vingan, uh, we'll we'll learn as a future storyteller on the radio that you have to set the scene. Yes, for the audience, paint the picture. Indiana and Tennessee played in the Tax Slayer Bowl over a month ago at this point, and Indiana held a fourteen point fourth quarter lead in that game over Mighty Tennessee. And David Reed had bet me his beard for my head of hair. Loser shaves Indiana versus Tennessee straight up. And I started chirping at the beginning of the fourth quarter on Twitter, as I am wont to do. Mm -hmm. And Indiana blew that 14-point fourth quarter lead, lost by a point, and now I am shaving my head. And that is why, because I went to Indiana, Vingan is asking me how I feel about Bobby Knight. Back to the Predator shortly. (laughs) How many times did you tweet the painting fingernails emoji while you were chirping? So many times! (laughs) Vingan, <laughs> the disrespect. That's on I, you. I Oh, my God. It's so on me. It's it's literally the definition of sweet, sweet justice. It's on you, bud. Oh, I know. And my my shame will now be made public, but because I'm a whore for clicks, we'll live stream it, and all will be right in the world. No, I don't know how I felt about Bobby. He looked a little... No, he's not in good health. He looked a little sickly. Well, and the reports have been that. I mean, Bobby Knight is, is in his 80s. Um... And for the people of that, see, here's what I don't understand. Because I'm from Indiana, I went to that school. My my, it's deep in my blood. 
the love for Bob Knight because he's the last semblance of any real winning that the Indiana Hoosiers did. Well, I remember Indiana and Mike Davis knocking out my Blue Devils in 2002. Right, but that was a Bobby Knight team. Yeah. Um, I look at Bobby because I have thought of, he doesn't mean as much to me personally as he does to previous generations of Indiana fans. Um, Because my college experience was Tom Crean face and delightful (laughs) on social media. Uh, As always, and Bobby Knight has always just been this bitter, bitter, angry old person that for 20 years has refused to come to campus in a way just for people to love on him. Like that's all IU fans want to do. And so now I feel like the Kobe, the passing of Kobe and his daughter and the seven other people on that helicopter crash have really kind of brought about this this, uh, theme of healing uh, for a lot of people in a way that's been made public. And I think it was very important for Indiana fans to have Bob Knight back in that arena for the first time in 20 years. And it meant something to Bobby. Like, you saw him get emotional. He did seem quite verklempt. After that, after he tried to get, after he tried to, I think, punch Dickie V in the head. <laughs> I don't, I legitimately think, and then it was so fitting, leading a defense chant after that. Like, it's everything Bob Knight. Um, but I don't understand nationally why people were loving on Bobby the way that Indiana fans were. Like, Bobby Knight is still a great source of shame um, for a variety of reasons. Bobby Knight is the last of a dying breed of dictator, coach, and violence in sports, in collegiate sports, that were not acceptable at the time, 20 years ago, much less right now. So I I didn't... I didn't think Bobby was going to get the living obituary from the national media the way that Indiana fans wanted to do for him. Yeah. It's interesting just because another tie to what we're talking about, you know, Mike Krzyzewski was a, was a disciple of Bobby Knight, um, played for him at army. Um, and, uh, his style is a bit different than Bobby's, I would think. He, I would say. He's, he's, he can be quite ferocious. I mean, one of the funniest things I've seen in a long time, if you'll recall, uh, a few weeks ago when they were playing Pittsburgh and the Cameron Crazies were chanting at Jeff Capel. Yeah. And before halftime, Mike Krzyzewski lost his ever-loving mind and was shouting at the Crazies to stop chastising Jeff Capel, and I saw this great clip, I th- it must have been on ESPN, of the camera was positioned behind Krzyzewski. So you're looking at the crazies looking at him, yeah. and you should have seen their faces. They I, were terrified. I saw that angle. They were terrified. Well, because he was incensed. <laughs> yes. He was Coach K filled with rage. And yes. many of those, I'm sure, many many of those lovely, smiling, youthful faces have never been yelled at the way that collegiate athletes no. have been yelled at, especially from somebody with the, I mean, when, when Coach K walks into to a room, there is there is gravitas. Yes, good associated word. with that. Yes, those uh, kids have never been yelled at in their lives the way that he they were that he was yelling at them at that moment. Yeah, I look at this, and I think, and and be, but in that moment, everybody knew Coach K was wrong, and I think even in retrospect, he for, knew he was wrong. Coach too. K knew he was wrong for that. Right, like it was out of place, and so the the whole thing with Bobby Bobby confuses me. It made me happy. I know it made my my grandmother happy, who is one <laughs> of these people who is 
who is still, like Dickie V, to her dying day, will say that Assembly Hall should be Robert Montgomery Knight Assembly Hall forever Mm. and ever and ever, uh, instead of taking the $25 million that Simon Scott gave to name it Simon Scott Assembly Hall. (laughs) I didn't even know it had a name other than Assembly Hall, to be honest with you. Well, it does now, and it's a very, 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 this has gone very, very niche. (laughs) All right, back to the Predators. College basketball podcast. We'll do, no, we should, we should do this more often, Vingan, especially with what's going on, uh, with what's going on with the Duke Blue Devils and, and Vandy and Tennessee uh, just, just floundering at the bottom of the SEC standings. But regardless, also floundering in goal. (laughs) Is Pecorino. See, that's how you're going to do it on the radio. Yes. You're going to learn things here, Vingen, and you're going to be better for I it. I sit at the learning tree. <laughs> at Adam Vingen on Twitter is where you get nuggets like this. Pecorino, after last night's 6-2 to two loss, Pecorino has allowed at least four goals 13 times this season. He did it a career-high 16 times almost 10 years ago in 2011 uh, and 2012, that season. The goaltending appears to be the painted-on tunnel that Wiley <laughs> Coyote bringing it all, all, all home here, Vengen. I well, got the difference coming. between the Predators' goaltending and the Wiley Coyote, Wiley Coyote tunnel painting is at least if a puck was shot at the tunnel opening, it would be stopped. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not happening for Pekka. I don't, I don't blame the goaltenders for the outcome of last night's game no the players in front of them did not show um but goaltending certainly has been an issue it's a major reason why the predators are in the predicament that they're in and one thing that i was curious about recently is i wanted to know how many times an nhl team or at least the most recent example of an nhl team making the Stanley Cup playoffs with a starting goaltender with a goals against average of at least three and a save percentage of under 900. Yeah. And it's been more than 10 years. It was the 2008-2009 Detroit Red Wings who ended up, I believe, losing in the Stanley Cup final to the Pittsburgh Penguins. I believe they were the defending Stanley Cup champions, the, the Red Wings that year. Chris Osgood had a goals against of more than three and a sub 900 save percentage. The difference is, is that was a Detroit Red Wings team that was loaded with future hall of famers. They had 112 points that year. I think they led the league in goals per game. So bad goaltending wasn't as much of an issue, Um, but it doesn't happen very often is what I'm saying. And, you know, the goaltending, you know, has dug itself such a hole that even if they can get to league average, I would consider that a success. Um, but there's just too many, there are just too many players on this team this year who are underperforming. I would say at least three quarters of the roster has not met expectations. I would say five players, maybe six have either met or exceeded expectations. Um, a lot of the players who are being paid a lot of money are on the wrong end of that ledger. Um, and John Hines made the decision last night to bench three of them, yeah. Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, and Matthew Shane for a significant period of time in the second period. Um, but, you know, I remember reading Elliot Freeman's 31 Thoughts column, and for those who are listening who are not as familiar with hockey journalism as other uh, other sports journalism, Elliot Freeman is the Adam Schefter 
of the NHL, and he writes a weekly column similarly to Peter King, um, where he shares his thoughts and reporting, and he has a, a section with David Poyle in his most recent column last week, and David even said, I can't remember a time where so many players were playing poorly at the same time. And that, and whether or not that's a product of coaching, whether that's a product of complacency, it's going to take a biopsy, or excuse me, an autopsy hmm. um, from the Predators' management this offseason to figure out what's going wrong because it can't continue like this. Well, and that's where it's trending. I mean, you talked about it earlier uh, when we started this pod before we got sidetracked, my fault. The the inability of this particular team, based on, based on body of work to this point, the inability of this particular team to pull themselves out of it more times or, or more often than not, it is, uh, it is frustrating to watch as somebody who, you know, as somebody who... If you're a Preds fan, you understand the moves that have been made. You think that this is this is the time, this is the window with which they're going to capitalize. You have the same pieces in place. It's it's what we're guilty of across sports. You think that every year that these players are on the roster, there is inherently going to be improvement. And that doesn't always necessarily happen. And this year in particular, when you look at the way with which the Predators' management have handled it, they're telling you directly in a way that David Poyle does not do. Listen, we got to go. Like, this is the time I'm spending more money than I ever have in terms of the contracts that we're doling out. And as you're saying in Elliot Friedman's column, they're just not collectively, they can't seem to figure it out in a way that, it's not that it's not that different the construction of the team it's a little faster it's a little more offensively skewed but what this is it's not like they're they're hurting for the loss of PK Subban in a way that would disrupt this entire thing yeah and it's interesting because people have asked me if this team misses PK Subban right. and not necessarily on the ice because you know for as great of a career as PK Subban has had i think he's on the wrong end of it now um but you know, his ability to um, play with an edge. I know Rex Rowe talks about this all the time, that during that Stanley Cup run in 2017, P.K. Subban, he was the one, you know, taking the daggers when things weren't going well. He was the one that was getting into a feud with Sidney Crosby. You know, he was the one that he was the lightning rod, as he is usually, regardless of where he plays. Now that lightning rod no longer exists. So who's going to take the criticism? And it's it's been handed out to multiple players, to mo- uh, to coaches. I mean, Peter Laviolette was not popular by the time among fans by the time he was fired yeah. for the most part. Now it's David Poyle who's getting a lot of the ire of the Predators fan base. Though I contend that. David's job security is like that of a Supreme Court justice. He'll have that job as long as he wants it. Um, but, you know, um, you know, Ryan Johansson has received a lot of blame, and rightfully so. He has not played uh, to his capabilities or his contract, and other players have too. I mean, one player who I believe deserves no blame for this is Roman Yossi. I mean, I believe he has done everything he can to carry this team, and he has. Um, you know, I wrote a story last week making his case for the for the Norris Trophy, and it almost like it almost sounded like I was making his case for the Hart Trophy. Yeah, 
Um, he's, of course, not going to receive much Hart Trophy consideration as MVP, but he is, you take Roman Yossi off this team right now, and they're even worse than they've been playing right now. They've been playing all year. The tailspin. Exactly. So, you know, I believe this team desperately misses Ryan Ellis um, on the ice and in the dressing room. He's been hurt for almost six weeks. Um, it's really hard to say. I mean, I really do think that if this team misses the postseason, which would be the first time they've missed the playoffs since 2014, which was the last season under Barry Trotz before they hired Peter Laviolette. I've I, no, only known playoff Predators hockey right. in my entire so, time in Nashville. So if they miss the playoffs this year, you know, I, I do think that there needs to be a really hard decision made about this roster. And it's it might be as simple as trading away one of the core members of the team. The problem is, is that a lot of the core members of the team are, you know, on the tail end of their prime years or, you know, past their prime years. Most of them are in on the tail end of their prime years in their late 20s to early 30s. They're all signed long-term. They all have significant cap hits. It's not going to be easy to move them. They've all underperformed, so you're selling them for pennies on the dollar. You're not going to get the same uh, return for a Victor Arvidsson, for example, this year than last year when he had 34 goals in 58 games. Ryan Johansson, Kyle Turris, they've been trying to move for a long time and haven't been able to do it. You know, Someone of consequence is going to have to go, in my opinion, if this team misses the playoffs. The hard question is, who is it going to be and how are they going to do it? See, I'm fascinated by all of this because the team that I cover, the Titans, is currently going through or getting ready to set them out, themselves up to go through something like this when the talent gets to a point where you have to decide, do I want to commit long-term to Derrick Henry given the expendability of the running back position? Do I pay top dollar for Ryan Tannehill when he's coming off what is literally the best career uh, or best season of his career? There is no precedent for what Ryan Tannehill did this season, do I bank on that being sustainable, especially with all of the players, obviously much larger rosters, but 22 of them are, are free agents, just under uh, just under 20 of them are unrestricted, meaning that you guys, I mean, it's a built-in, it's a built-in reset. And so how do these front office people navigate between the emotional, the sentimental, the paying on the back end for what they've already done, which in the Predators case would be rewarding the guys that helped get you to that Stanley Cup and helped were a part of, obviously, uh, and may continue to be a part of. We'll see how the season plays out. This continued tradition, in like, at least in the last four or five years, of making it to the playoffs. How do you balance those things? And that's the place that the Predator, the Predators find themselves on the back end of this or in the midst of it, the Titans are getting ready to go through. Well, it. the hard part for the Predators and any NHL team going through this is unlike in the NFL, you can't restructure contracts. Um, contracts are guaranteed. You know, you can buy out a player, but you still have to pay him a percentage of his deal over a certain period of time. So it's not as if though the Predators can go up to Ryan Johansson and say, hey, you've got five years left on your contract. You're making $8 million per season. We need to fix that. Right. You, they can't do that. So it's a, it's a hard salary cap. Um, 
And that makes it tricky, um, especially because the Predators are in a position where they're spending more to the cap. They've got a lot of money tied up in players. They don't have a lot of cheap entry-level labor on their roster. They need more of it. You know, Dante Fabro is the only player on the team, everyday player, on an entry-level contract. And the best teams are are able to have those high-priced players complemented by cheaper supplementary players, but the Predators don't have that. Right. So it's it's hard. You know, the Predators are finding themselves in a precarious position cap cap wise and and the next few the next two months as the season concludes, this regular season concludes, is gonna be, I think, really telling um as to how they proceed in the summertime and the hard decisions that they're gonna have to make in order to get this team back on the right track. What's the difference over there between how Laviolette, and obviously things got sour with Laviolette um, that led to his firing before, or, or midseason rather, the difference in the way that Laviolette was managing them and the, and the way that John Hines as the head coach is currently managing them? Well, I think you see it just based on last night's game. Peter Laviolette would not have benched three of his top offensive players for the majority of the second period. That isn't to say that Peter Laviolette did not hold his players accountable when necessary. I just think he went about it differently. You know, John Hines has been clear that the players who are playing the best are the ones that are going to play, regardless of what your stature is. And I was having this conversation as we're recording this on Tuesday, uh, earlier today with our friends Darren McFarlane and Chase McCabe. Um, You know, the interesting dilemma, perhaps, or conundrum that is facing John Hines in that situation is at the time of the game, you're down for nothing. The game's out of hand. The team's not playing well. You want to hold your top players accountable, but you also want to give your team a chance to win. So is it smart to bench your three top offensive producing players or three of your top offensive producing players? And, and playing bottom six guys as you're attempting to get back into a game. You know, what's the balance between sending a message but also not hampering your team's ability to come back in the game, which is a question I hope to ask John Hines in the next couple of days now that the team is coming back from this road trip. Um, you know, from a media standpoint, John Hines is a godsend um, <laughs> in comparison to Peter Laviolette, though the bar to clear was not that high. I can't imagine. It was doing barely an in, it was barely an inch off the ground. Dude, I could not. I could not. Especially like going having known what it's like to do. It's like the difference for me between Malarkey and Vrabel. Right. Mike Malarkey and, and actually not even not even that drastic, because Mike Malarkey was honest, just dry. I could not deal with Peter Laviolette. I I appreciated what Peter was trying to do. First and foremost, he wanted to protect his players. He did not he did not want to say anything that would harm his players. But and I use and I use this term I use this term I don't I don't want to say it's not lightly, but I use this term gingerly. I'm not sure of the word I'm looking for. He was very paranoid is what I'm trying to say. Um he was very concerned with what was out there and the messages that were being sent through the media. And who he was saying them in front of, and 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 how they could be disseminated, um, and it it came to a point where, admittedly, I had sort of gotten fed up with it, and I think he even noticed that, um, you know, before the season started, because I would be a terrible poker player 
when something bothers me, I'm not great at hiding it. And, you know, the answers that he would give me when they were unsuitable would bother me just because I'm trying to do my job and he wouldn't play ball, which, hey, that's his prerogative. But, you know, I think things got testy near the end just between how the team was playing. And I think maybe the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, was the Kyle Turris situation. Yeah. Um, I personally feel that Peter Laviolette could not have handled that any worse from a media perspective. I understand that he did not want to get into the reasons why he scratched Kyle Turris for seven consecutive games, just wanting to call it a lineup decision, but he was feeding the narrative in the news cycle by continuing not to answer the question, and things kind of deteriorated from there. Oh, and you can't do that with a player whose wife has a podcast. <laughs> right. Like, that's not a smart play. Right. And the last question I ever asked Peter Laviolette was how he was feeling about his job after the Winter Classic. And he said he didn't want to get into it because I didn't continue on that road trip. You know, they played two more games in California. They came back, and that day he was fired. So the last question I asked him was about how much pressure he was feeling based on the way the team was playing and how his team performed in front of 85,630 people and an international television audience. Um, you know, I, I understood the risk in asking him that asking him that question in that setting, but I felt it important to do so because his team completely, I don't want to say quit, but gave up when the going got tough at the Cotton Bowl. And I felt it important to ask him that question at that time. So Peter Laviolette is a good coach. He's going to land on his feet. The NHL is a retread market. Um, so Unbelievably. He, he will be a coach. I would not be surprised to see him coaching again in the NHL next year. Well, um, I am still waiting for him to return my text message from the day he was fired. <laughs> and I'm expecting not to hear from him unless one day randomly he sends me a text message that says, go F yourself. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but if we, I mean, we all know how that works, at least behind the scenes. If yes. you're not doing the, if you're not getting that kind of response at some point, uh, in your working relationship, with these individuals, you've probably not done uh, done your job correctly. I guess so. I guess. So. <laughs> I mean, I was not. I was not out to get Peter. I mean, I I made it clear that I was just doing my job and asking the questions that I felt needed to be asked, and as sort of the elder statesman. Well, I'm 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 not the elder statesman in the sense, at least of people covering the team. No, you're getting pretty old, bud. I am getting old. I'm balding. I'm about to turn 31. Um, I'm not the elder statesman in terms of how long I've been covering the team, but in terms of you know being on the beat for the newspaper and and being around the team every day, you know more so than anybody else that's not an employee of the team. Yeah. I feel a responsibility to ask those questions and. I take the I take the good and the bad. So I've, I was definitely not trying to undermine Peter Laviolette or make him look bad, um, but it got a little testy, and, and that's what happened. So. Well, and this is a good transition to our next topic of discussion because when you walked in here, I was listening to Bussin' with the Boys, Taylor Lewan and Will Compton's uh, now Barstool uh, podcast and business venture um, and they were talking on the latest episode about Midday 180 and me personally, our criticisms of the podcast, uh, me not specifically, Mid- Midday criticizing the podcast and me criticizing Lawan's penalties at the time when Lawan's penalties were an issue. 
And it can, because these people, and I do mean these people. What do you mean, you people? I mean all of you people. All of you all of you thin-skinned professional athletes and professional coaches. I'm sure it applies to the college game, but you and I do not cover the college game. We cover professionals. And for, for I understand the thin-skinnedness because you are you have a level of scrutiny associated with your job that brings about so much negativity, especially in the world that we live in with social media. And so I understand when we're hearing them kind of voice their complaints about the way that we're doing our job. Um, but also, this is just kind of the nature of the business. Now we hear the perspective from guys like Compton and Lawan because the platforms and social medias have made it uh, or social media have made it uh, possible for you to hear directly from these guys how they're feeling. Now, do I expect Peter Laviolette to ever have a podcast? I would venture not. I don't even know what he would. I don't even know what he would talk about. To be honest, <laughs> wouldn't be anything hockey related. That would be that would feed the paranoia too much. No, it would not. But now, but now we find ourselves in a way where it's 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 creating a bigger divide, and you know this can apply to politics too between media between the people that we cover, and be- between the people in the audience who feel it almost obligatory to pick sides between the media and the players or coaches who feel offended. And that that has been the most inter- interesting narrative. And, and we've talked about this before, both publicly and privately, Vingan. I mean, it's totally changed, or at least to a degree changed, the way with which we have to do our jobs. Yeah. Um, and it's it's always interesting... In terms, people will who are not in our line of work will ask me about my relationships with the Predators players. And having been around most of them for the past five years, because there hasn't been a ton of turnover um, among the core players, I, you know, I venture to say I have a good relationship with a lot of players. Now, have I had a great relationship with everybody? No, it's no different than... A normal nine to five office job. You're not going to get along with everybody you work with. Yeah. Um, but you know, for me, it's 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 making sure that when I'm going to be critical or ask critical questions of a player, that they have an at least have an understanding of where I'm going with it and have an opportunity to respond. You know, if I write a story that's critical of a player my number one rule, at least for myself, is that that player's voice has to be in the story in some capacity. Yes. Um, just because they have to have the opportunity to defend themselves and to provide both sides. Um, but social media does make it difficult, for sure, because you know, the players now have a direct avenue to get their side of the story out without having to disseminate it through the media, which is how they had to do it back in the old days. Like the, 19, like in the 1990s. Um, so Before Billie Eilish. Before Billie Eilish. So it, it, it is tough. Uh, I mean, I, you know, especially when a team isn't playing well. And especially, I mean, the, you know, the discussion that we were having about Peter Laviolette, I think, is a good, is a good example. Like, I knew that by asking certain questions of Peter Laviolette that are rapport would get worse um i know that he was short purposely with non-evasive questions because he was not happy with me he did not want to give me what i was looking for because i was asking him questions he did not like and look that's fine 
um, at the end of the day, my job was not to placate him. It was to answer to my bosses and answer to my readers. And I felt like I did that so I could sleep at night, even if I knew the coach of the professional hockey team wasn't my Vegas fan. Yeah. Um, but it, it, you know, it's there are times where players have called me out and on, on things I've written, and it's always, it's always good. Na- it's like in the like it's always well, it's not always. It's usually good natured. You know, it's not. But Vingan, they have the opportunity to do so, and I think that's what yes. that's what distinguishes it. Right. Right. If if you criticize the effort uh, and the ability or the not living up to the contract of Philip Forsberg or Ryan Johansson, they at least know that you are going to approach them, or at least you hope that they do, because you you know as I think most of us do, not all of us, and that becomes a problem because you know we get sabotaged by our own more often than not. I would say not not in terms of media, but uh, or local media, but in terms of media. Anyway, we talked about the Kobe Bryant reporting at length. Mm-hmm. Um, they know that you are going to be in that dressing room the next day. If I criticize Lawan and his penalties, I don't necessarily go out of my way to tag them in every critical tweet because I think that's unnecessary. I do understand that you know you want to make sure that they're seeing that if you're if you're if you're that it's not that's that it's not fakeness. I guess that if you're going to criticize them. At least you're doing it in a way that they can see it, but you know that's a line to balance. But if we do that, if you or I do that, they know that we're going to be in the locker room to have a conversation the next day, whether it's to give us a hard time, whether it's to kind of you know mess with us on that particular day. And if they don't want to talk to us because of it, that's fine. Yeah. Um, but that's a part of the job. Yes, it is absolutely. Um, and and part of the job is balancing those relationships because there are. Certain place, similarly to what the analogy I made about working in an office or just just with friends. I mean, there are certain you know, there are certain people that you gravitate to. There are certain people who you might consider acquaintances who you're friendly to, but don't have a great rapport with. You know, a natural rapport with. There are people that you just don't like. I mean, right. it happens. And there have been people in the Predators dressing room over my five years who I've gotten along with incredibly well. There are people who I get along with well on a on a interview basis where they're not someone who I'm regularly chatting with off the record, but when I need a good quote for a story, I know I can rely on them. And then there are people who I just were oil and water, and that's okay. I mean, you know, I, you know, it's it's a very it's a very interesting business and it's very interesting how how sensitive certain athletes can be. It's so petty. Just because you're making millions of dollars to play a sport. You know, I like to joke a lot, joke all the time that my job is to write about watching other people exercise. Like that's what I do for a living. You make a lot of money. You, you, and because of that, you, um, incur much more scrutiny than the normal person. And that comes with the territory. And if you don't like it, find another line of work, I guess. That's fair. So, you know the predators players i feel like deal with at least with me deal with it well i've had very few instances of players having issues with the, with how i conduct myself or the stories i'm writing um but it happens and i can take it i'm a big boy so if they've got a problem with it we can have a conversation. I'm not a confrontational person, so I'm not going to get into a shouting match i can't even imagine you being confrontational no my wife will tell me that 
while I, I, my wife will tell me, I don't think she, she's seen me frustrated and she's seen me annoyed, but she's never seen me angry or mean. Um, I, I'm more of the disappointed dad, the, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed kind of thing. That's how I operate a little bit more than the yelling and screaming I had. And I think I've told my wife this. So if she's listening, it's not going to cause a stir in our household. But I had... Write, review, and subscribe, Mrs. Megan. Right. when, Shortly after I graduated college, I had a short-term... I don't even know if she was a girlfriend. We just went on a... We, we dated for a few weeks. And the reason why our relationship ended was because we got into an argument over something. And her preferred method of arguing was just to yell it out. Just yeah. yell and yell and yell and yell and yell until we were tired of yelling. And then we would just kind of like move on. I'm a bit more measured when it comes to having disagreements. I like to hear the other person's side. I like to have an opportunity for my side to be heard. Diplomacy. Diplomacy. And I like for us to find as much common ground as we could. And she found that to be condescending, so we broke up. (laughs) It's always funny the way that messages are received by our significant others. And this is an appropriate time to have that conversation because Valentine's Day whether you dread it or not, is on the horizon. But I will not do uh, our friend Adam Vingen the injustice of talking about relationships and Valentine's I mean, I'm a married man now, so I do, by nature, have the right to offer advice on relationships to people who aren't married. Ah, what what relationship advice have you come burdened with to the podcast to bring me to that, Vingen? I don't know what relationship advice I have. I mean... (laughs) So so wait, you're you're arguing that because you're now married, marriage is that basically gives you the ability to criticize and to offer constructive criticism. Yes, marriage and yet you have none. Marriage is basically the same. Sorry, I'm watching these awesome Taysom Hill highlights on on uh, NFL Live. I think he's going to get paid. Wonder if he's going to be the starting quarterback for the New Orleans Saints next year. God, I would love that. Um, any, Find out next. <laughs> anyway, as the Saints fan in the room. Anyway. Um, People ask me how's how's being married, and I say it's basically the same. Yeah. I mean, we've we lived together before. The only difference now is that she shares my health insurance. I got her a copy of my American Express card that's attached to my my account. We we share car insurance, so the premium is cheaper. Mm-hmm. That's basically it. You know, there's she, a tax break involved. Yeah, she shares my last name now. Um. So it's basically the same. <laughs> Marriage is basically the same. Thank you for all of your wisdom. Yes. <laughs> Vingan, it has been a pleasure to have you back, my brother. All I, right, uh, my friend. We need to do this more often. Certain, regardless of where the hockey season takes us, we uh, we need Adam Vingan as a part of the regular podcast rotation, MVP punter or not. Yes. Very disappointed to break I. I, it's and a okay. sickly little girl. I'm not mad. I'm just best disappointed. wishes to the colonel. <laughs> I do. I, that's a great name for uh, for a child, though. The colonel. The colonel. It reminds me of. Did you ever watch the league on FX? I did. They would refer to uh, Jay Cutler and Kristen Cavallari's child as the Cutlet. <laughs> Future. Uh, I like that. Six one five sessions guest co-host Kristen Cavallari and Jay. You Cutler. should get Jay Cutler in here. He did a barstool interview. I think I'm more his speed than terrestrial radio. Is he the? He's he's got to be one of the most boring people there is. I don't think that's so. Did you watch Very Cavalry? Uh, I don't. Okay, do that, and then we will come back and we will have a pop culture review of Very Cavalry with Adam Vingen and potentially Jay Cutler. I just know that her store is by 
my apartment slash your old apartment. Yes. It's not very, it's not very far. And what, what, in, in close to the footprint that is now the Amazon Death Star. I'm very happy to not live in there right now. Yeah. All I'm excited about is that Whole Foods that's opening right around the corner from my apartment. Great steaks. I'm still, I'm still within the vicinity. Yeah. It's not, it's, it's, it's not as far as you think. No, we'll plan our, we'll plan our Whole Foods, uh, grocery shopping endeavors together. <laughs> Perhaps we'll pot it. Yes. The, the chicken fried tofu is on me. <laughs> <laughs> Which is delicious, by the way. Adam Vingen, at Adam Vingen, on the socials for all of your Nashville Predators nuggets and needs as the Preds continue to try and get themselves back into the postseason picture. You can read his latest work at The Athletic Nashville. Make sure that you are getting those subscriptions to The Athletic because it is fantastic work here, uh, not just locally, not just in the state of Tennessee, you have access with the athletic subscription. I am a proud subscriber, uh, a loyal subscriber. I enjoy all of the college basketball coverage in particular that I have access to on top of our great friends Adam Vingen, John Glennon, Joe Rexrow, David Ubbin, all of whom appear on the 615 session. Vingen, I appreciate your time. Anytime, my friend. Meanwhile, you guys have to rate, review, and subscribe to the 615 Sessions podcast wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. We are wherever your earbuds would like to consume us, so make sure that you leave those ratings and reviews on iTunes. Five stars means we will answer your questions if you leave them in the iTunes review with those five stars. So I appreciate you all doing so we will be back on thursday with a valentine's day edition with the mvp punter who flaked on this particular episode but we understand uh, of course that family comes first and we wish the best uh to the sickly young colonel uh and look forward to having brett kern on the podcast i will talk to you guys then on thursday in the meantime stay hot nashville you are listening and we'll listen to the 615 Sessions presented, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Nashville.